Let's just pause for a word of prayer, shall we? And then we'll get into God's word this evening. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace towards us, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and we thank you, Lord, um, that although your return could happen in a moment, for the believer it is a glorious thought to think about the return of our Redeemer. You are indeed our blessed hope and we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. But as we study this evening, help us to see what is to come after. Lord, that there is still business to be done in your program, that your work is not complete, that you will indeed return uh, again after this tribulation period to set up your kingdom on earth. And Lord, we want to look at that this evening. I want you to help us to see, Lord, that you are a God that keeps your promises. Lord, that your word can be taken literally unless it states otherwise, that we can be clear that when you say something, you mean it, that you don't need us to explain it away for you, but, Lord, that you actually do mean what you say. And you've said there will be a kingdom on this earth, there will be a rule and reign from Jerusalem that has been promised to the Messiah, the one of the Davidic line, and, Lord, we know that indeed that will happen. So, Lord, I pray you would just, as we look at this and finish out this little series this evening, Help us, Lord, just to remember that you are a God that can be trusted. And as we've sung this evening, what a faithful God have we. And we praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness this evening. We praise you, Lord, for your trustworthiness. We praise you, Lord, for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to have a look at the age of the kingdom. We're going to wrap this uh, up this evening. And um, what we're going to do is, is, is really we're going to hammer home quite a few scriptures in, the, in this session, um, more so than we've done previously, because um, I want to do this because I think this is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the whole of Christianity, the kingdom. It's totally misunderstood in many circles and um, written off a lot of the times as when, when, you, when we come along as, as premillennial as I am. Uh, dispensational as I am. Um, I take the Bible literally where I can. And I believe there's a, a kingdom coming, a physical kingdom on this earth where the Lord Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years. But that's not common, unfortunately. And a lot of people will say, well, that's just, you know, you've took one verse out of Revelation and you've come up with this. And, and that's not it at all. So we are going to be a little bit scripture uh, heavy this evening. I don't apologize for that. I'm just telling you, get ready, get buckled in, and uh, we, we'll get through this. Now, we've looked at this dispensational concept, and I know that it's been a while um, since we've, we've been in this on a Sunday evening, but we looked at the characteristics, what made up a dispensation, and, and we looked at the three primary characteristics uh, a different governing relationship in each uh, economy or each dispensation. There's a result and responsibility that's given to man by God. And then there's revelation not previously given that wasn't previously given. We call this progressive revelation. So, you know, we give the example. What God revealed to Adam and Eve in the garden is, is, is much less than what he's revealed to us through his written word today in the, in the church age. We know fo- far more about God and his purposes and his programs and his plans than Adam and Eve did. They had a, a wonderful relationship with God before it was marred, but all they, all they knew about God is that, that God was their creator. He was also their friend. He walked with them and he gave them simple command, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. 
That was it, basically. Just simple obedience in that simple, simple uh, uh, age of innocence. Um, but as we go through each dispensation, we find that God's revealing more. We get to the, the, the age of law, and we've seen how the law is handed down, and God's revealing more of himself there. Um, you know, the age of promise, we looked at that with Abraham, how God um, revealed to Abraham this great Abrahamic covenant, this promise. And on and on it goes. We looked at the church age last time and how God has revealed to us specific truth that was hidden in the Old Testament. It wasn't, wasn't there. They couldn't see it. And in fact, Paul, the apostle, the apostle of, uh, to the Gentiles, was given special revelation by Jesus Christ himself, I believe, to be able to be uniquely qualified to teach church truth. So we moved along. It's called progressive revelation. Now we're getting to the, really the end of time, as it were, in the history of humanity, which began at the start of time and will end at the end of time. And we will be ushered in at the end of time, we will be ushered into eternity, which is timeless. But in the period of time, from the garden to the, the, this kingdom period, God has been working all the way through, showing his grace, moving things along, even when the judgments came. Because remember the secondary characteristics, a test, failure, Judgment. And we've seen that each time. In the garden, there was a test. They failed. The judgment was what? They were put out of the garden. And on and on it went. And, but every time we've seen that God was still gracious. Even in the judgment, he was gracious. Now we get to um, our final dispensation. This is the, the last dispensation. Um, it's known by two different names. It's known as the age of the kingdom or the dispensation of the millennium. The, the um, first name emphasizes Messiah's rule over the, this, this planet, the age of the kingdom. Uh, the dispensation of the millennium emphasizes the time period. It's a thousand years, this period. And we, we know this um, because we're going to have a look at this. So let's start, let's begin Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation 20. I'm going to read from verse 1. Revelation chapter number 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should, dece he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. So this is the millennium we're talking about. This is where we get the thousand years from. It's in there. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which, was not, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So there we have that thousand years again, so twice in that short passage. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is, that's a third time repetition of the thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such the de second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. How many times have we seen a thousand years there in that passage? Four. Four. 
And uh, for seven, here's the fifth one. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are of the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sea of the sand. And they went up the, the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints all about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So really, from, from a New Testament perspective, this is where we have our, our concept of the kingdom. And we say it's a thousand years simply because that's what... The Bible says. Now we're going to have a look at some of the other technical stuff why people, you know, don't take it as a thousand years. But I read that. I read a thousand years, a six, you know, six or seven times there. That's a thousand years. And I don't go anywhere else because I don't need to because that's what it says. Um, so this is the kingdom. And, and the key person of the age of the kingdom, remember, if you, if you really think about it and you can remember as we've gone through each of these dispensations, there's always a key figure. Okay, So you've got Adam, you've got um, Abraham, obviously, you've got Noah, he's a key figure in, in his. Uh, you've got the, the age of grace and Paul, the apostle Paul is a key figure. Um, so who do you think the key figure of the millennial kingdom would be? Jesus, absolutely. It's the Messiah. It's the Lord. And, and it's the Messiah himself who will be ruling. And it's also Messiah himself who will be dispens- uh, dispensing direct uh, new revelation. He's going to be on the throne. And anything that he says is revelation because he is Christ. He is Messiah. He is the Word. And uh, he's going to sit upon his throne in this kingdom. And as we think about this kingdom, we want to see there's different elements to it. There's different elements to it. Um, There's a spiritual element to the kingdom. Those that are regenerated, those that are born again, will will have uh, regenerated bodies in this kingdom. There'll be those that go into this kingdom, just like us today, uh, flesh and blood. And so it's going to be unique in terms of that aspect in that period. But there's definitely a spiritual aspect. There's a regeneration aspect to it. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 24. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all countries, and bring you to your own land. Then I will sprinkle water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, from your idols. I will cleanse you, a new heart I also I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you uh, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments, and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is talking about Israel, national Israel. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans. And if you haven't gone through Romans and studied it, Wednesday nights, starting next week, the 12th, we will go through this and, and we'll get to it at some point. But what, there's a spiritual conversion here. And there are those that go into the kingdom that are regenerate. 
born again, new hearts, new flesh. That's what God does with Israel. That's what he's done with us. If you're born again here this evening, that's what he's done. He's given you a new heart. We talked about that this morning, a new creation. So this, the kingdom will have a spiritual element to it. Let's not um, and go the other way because, you know, we want to be literal. Absolutely, where it's called for. But we want to understand the spiritual aspects when they're there. So we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a spiritual aspect to the kingdom. Uh, there absolutely uh, is. Um, but moving on, there's an ethical element to the kingdom. Um, let's look at Isaiah this time. Because righteousness and justice mark this kingdom. Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter number 11, verses 1 to 5. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove iniquity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. This is the nature of Christ's kingdom, the millennial kingdom, that it will be one that will be marked with righteousness and justice, and not just human flawed justice, not human flawed righteousness, but the perfect righteousness and rule of Christ, as he rules with a rod of iron. There's no hiding things from Christ. There's no getting away from it. There's no wiggling out of it. It's a straight down the line political uh, rule from Christ, and that's what we're crying out for today, isn't it? You know, we want a political leader that will rise up and just be straight. To be hard and fair. But rule well. We're not going to get that until Christ comes. The earth will not see that until Christ comes. But when he comes to his kingdom, there will be an ethical element. There'll be a, a social element to the kingdom. You know, there'll be sweeping social change on the earth at this time. Uh, turn to Hosea chapter number 2. Hosea chapter number two. <laughs> Told you I was going to get you working tonight. <laughs> Hosea chapter number two. See, this is where I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. People have it on their phone. It's too easy to find, isn't it? It's too easy to find. Hosea chapter two, verse 18. And in that day, speaking about uh, the kingdom, in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely. This is talking about the conditions that are going to be in this kingdom, that, that Christ is going to uh, rule with such a, a, a rod of iron that there will be no war. Those Battle weapons will be put down. He'll break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. Who's longing for a day when the battle is taken out of the earth? But the Lord's going to do this in this kingdom. There's going to be sweeping social change. Uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 2. 
Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, speaking about Christ, the Redeemer, the Messiah. He shall judge among the nations, and he shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they lean war or learn war anymore. This is the kingdom that's coming. It's going to have sweeping social change. So there's a spiritual element, there's an ethical element, there's a social element, there's an ecclesiastical element, there's a religious element to the kingdom. Uh, Psalm 110, turn there. Psalm 110. Those of you who know this psalm will know what I'm about to highlight. Psalm 110. We'll just read the entire psalm. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send thy rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So notice this is a, an earthly location. How can you rule in the midst of your enemies in heaven? What nonsense. And thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink in the brook of the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. What I want you to notice here that, 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 that it's connected that in this kingdom, on this earth, at Jerusalem, where the Lord is reigning, there's a connection with his priesthood. And his priesthood is not that after Levi, but it's a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 5. I think sometimes when we think about that priesthood of the Lord, and we maybe know that concept, that we forget that there's still yet purpose in that. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. And he has said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offer up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's just go on a little bit. The verse 20 of chapter 6 says this, whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Remember what's the high priest's role in the Old Testament. He is to represent the people before God. He, he comes in the Day of Atonement. He is the one that has access. Well, this, this priesthood is different because he is God. He is high priest and he is God and he is high priest forever. That's, that's what it says, forever. And as we enter into this kingdom, we are going to have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is going to uh, rule and reign from Jerusalem. But a high priest, if he's going to rule and reign from from Jerusalem, what does a high priest need? What does he need to function? What type of building? A temple. He needs a temple. 
So if we've got a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and the Lord Jesus Christ and he's coming back to rule and reign from Jerusalem, wouldn't it make sense that he would then have a temple there? Well, the word of God tells us that he will. He will. You know, there's prophecies of this millennial temple. That's what we call it. Back, Let's go back uh, Isaiah, back into the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. It's talking about the kingdom of Christ here. It says this, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the, of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Notice that it says, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Where's that? Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, to the house of the God of Jacob. That's the temple. That's the temple. Um, Chapter 60 of Isaiah, just a little bit further on, towards the end of it. Isaiah 60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 13. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, the box together, to the beauty of the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Talks about the place of his sanctuary. This is going to be the temple, the millennial temple turned to Haggai. Or Haggai, I don't know how you want to pronounce that. doesn't really matter. Haggai's not here to argue about it, so... I always, if you're struggling towards the end of the Old Testament, always remember H said, H said. That helps you with Haggai, Zechariah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Anyway, right. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. And I will make all nations, the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And again, in the context of Haggai, it's talking about the temple and that day that will will come. Look at verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. That's prophetical word about the temple to come. And if we have a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, if we have a temple, then that means there must be something going on in that temple. And that's what we find in the kingdom, that there are animal sacrifices in the future temple. Back to Isaiah. Chapter 56. I did tell you, I did warn you that I would work your little fingers this evening. Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, verse 6. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taking hold of my covenant. 
Even them I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Now, we don't have the time to get into the context. You can read that yourself. But this is talking about this future temple. And notice what it says. It says it's going to be a house of prayer. And, 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 and all are going to come to it. But the, the, the important thing that you want to see in there is that, that uh, there are burnt offerings. And their sacrifices shall be accepted. What do you need for burnt offerings and sacrifices? You need animal sacrifices. There's blood that's going to be shed, just like it was in the Old Testament. You say, well, well, the Old Testament, was that not there so that the blood was a covering, a rolling atonement for Israel? Didn't it serve its purpose when Christ came and fulfilled the law? Well, you have to understand that those were shadows and pictures and types about the one that was going to come. They all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we get to this period, when the Lord Jesus Christ is there, that high priest after the order of Melchizedek, in his temple, there will be that sacrificial system that will restart. Not to do with sin, but all to do with ceremony. To remember the one that made it all possible. As he sits there, as he is worshipped by all nations, the sacrificial system will come into place again. The animal will be slain, not for any covering of sin, but just to point to the one that covered sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those sacrifices will be back. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 7. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Naboth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar. I will glorify the house of my glory. There will be sacrifices offered and it will be glorified until the Lord. There are other verses we can look at. We're not going to look at them tonight for the sake of time. So there's a, there's a religious element to the kingdom. There's also a political element that Israel will be occupying uh, the primary part in this. Um, Isaiah 61, we're in there. We might as well look at verse 4. Isaiah 61, verse 4. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. They will repair the waste cities, the desolations many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. The sons of the alien shall be your plowman and your vine dresser. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory you shall boast yourselves. Now we could read on there, but it's dealing with Israel how they have an element in the administration of this kingdom. Now we will have a part in this too as the church. But primarily Israel is going to be taking the focus in this, this political element of the kingdom. There's also a physical element to the kingdom. The sick were going to be healed. Turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 35. I'm going to try and keep you in Isaiah so we don't go too, too far back and forth. Isaiah 35 and verses 5 to 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as the heart, the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. There's, there's, the, the time on earth of the kingdom is going to be glorious. We're going back to 
the garden. That's what's happening. I hope you've seen this. As we go through time, we've come out of the garden and the relationship with God was broken. And, and, and God sent his son so that that relationship could be repaired to bring us back to where God had us at the start. Because if Adam and Eve had of uh, passed that test, we would have went into eternity. The entire human race would have went into eternity with God in a right relationship with God. But they failed. And you say, well, Adam, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have failed. Yes, you would have. He was the best of us. He was the best of us. But God is bringing it back. And when we get into this kingdom period, we're not quite in eternity where there is no sickness and there is no sin, but we're heading there. And the thing changes. The, the, the sick are here. People live to a, an older age. The children will go out and play in the streets. Remember the day where you could play in the streets without fear of anything? That's what it's going to be like in the, in the kingdom. The, the curse is going to be pulled back a little bit on the animal kingdom. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, not the lion. The wolf, that's what scripture says. Things will start to come back because God intended harmony. We brought havoc. God is going to bring it back to harmony. And in the kingdom, this is what happens. The Dead Sea is healed. Here's a little thing. If you don't know this, get your fishing permit for the Dead Sea now. Because one day it's going to be healed. Ezekiel 47, let's have a look. Get the top fishing spots. Well, it's cheap. Ezekiel 47, verse 8. Then he said unto me, These waters issue out of the east country, go down to the desert, and go down to the sea. Which being brought forth unto the sea, the water shall be healed. And it comes so pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whither so the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a great multitude of fish, because these waters come hither, for they shall be healed. And everything shall live, whether the river cometh. And that's talking about the river that's going to run out of Jerusalem. There's going to be a, a change in Jerusalem. There's going to be a, a river that runs out of the throne of, of God, really. And it will come down and it will heal that sea. And if you've been there now, you know, you know there's, there's, it's dead as they can be. Salty as salty can be. But it's going to change in the kingdom. Now, <laughs> That's introduction. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will, I'm going to get through this quickly. Why have, I, why have I spent time in this? Why have I said all this? Because here's the thing. When you come along and you say that there's going to be a kingdom on this earth, that Christ is going to reign, there are a lot of gainsayers and naysayers that, that believe that there is no millennium, that they're called amillennialists. A means no. No millennium or not millennium. They will come along and say that, 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 that this thousand year reign isn't a, isn't a literal one. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. And, and Christ is ruling from his throne in heaven. And actually we're going through the millennium now and really we're just waiting for the second coming and then it's eternity and they'll say to you you know you just believe that because you've read in revelation about the thousand years 
But, you know, it's a thousand years as a day, and a day is a thousand years with the Lord, and, and, and it's a spiritual thing. Well, I hope that the last 20 minutes of just going through these verses will help you see that God wastes a lot of time on something that's spiritual, given it physical qualities of a kingdom that operates just like any other kingdom would operate in this earth, except that it has the perfect rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when they come along and say to you, oh, there's nothing in Scripture that talks about that, 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 that period, you say to them, well, most of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, is full of it. We've talked about the spiritual temple. You get into Ezekiel chapter 40 and onwards, and, and you start to read that. You will read uh, intricate measurements for that temple, and you can take those measurements, and you could, uh, if you had the resources and the ability, you could build that temple in Stoke-on-Trent. Now, it would serve no spiritual purpose, because Stoke-on-Trent's not Jerusalem, but you could do it. From the measurements given. If there's measurements given that can build a real temple, that's a lot of wasted scripture for something that's spiritual and doesn't really exist. But that's what it comes down to. And, and, and the point of the matter is that oftentimes people don't take the time to look through the Old Testament to see that there is something that's going to happen on earth where there's going to be a rule of Christ that are, uh, uh, and he's going to rule the nations. That's not spiritual. That's not heavenly. That's earthly. That's earthly. Now, there's no doubt God, uh, Christ is sitting on the throne now, but it's not the throne of David. The throne of David is an earthly one, and Christ will come, and he will sit upon that throne, and he will rule and reign. That's the kingdom. And, and, and as we look at it, these are things that God have said will happen, has said that will happen, that haven't happened yet. It's prophecy unfulfilled. And when we look at prophecy unfulfilled, we take the position that prophecy that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled literally. Therefore, prophecy that is unfulfilled, we have no reason to say anything else then it will be fulfilled literally. Because that's what God does. So all these things we talked about are yet future. They're coming. They're coming at the age of the kingdom. Now, like I said, <laughs> that's introduction. But we, we don't have much to talk about. Because we're going to look at now the dispensational truth. Remember, we're still in a dispensation. Okay, so the characteristics, secondary characteristics, test, Failure, judgment. What's the test or the responsibility of this dispensation? Um, very similar, in fact, to, to the uh, last dispensation because the new covenant is still in, in play here and we looked at the church age and our responsibilities to that covenant in terms of obedience and the privilege that we have. No different when Christ rules and reigns on earth. So that covenant comes into its fullest sense when Israel is restored and we're in the kingdom. That's the completion of that covenant. And, and obedience to that covenant is, is to accept the gift of righteousness that God offers through faith in Christ the Messiah. The second kind of facet of the kingdom is obedience to the king. Remember, Christ is, is there. He's ruling and he's reigning. And, and, and for the entirety of the human world at that point, it's obedience to the one that rules and reigns. That's the test. That's the test. Now, failure. Failure. There's going to be failure in, in this kingdom to come. Man will fail to accept the Messiah. You think, how is that even possible? How is that possible? I mean, I mean, Christ is going to be there. The temple is going to be built. The sacrificial system is going to be back. 
He's going to be ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. There's going to be those that are ruling with him that are are, are, are spirit in nature, that can do miraculous things. How then does the human uh, uh, flesh and blood that hasn't been born again, that hasn't had that spirit nature, that's living in that kingdom, how then do they ever get to the point that they would disobey that king? Three-letter answer. Sin. 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 You know how many people say, if the Lord Jesus Christ, if I could see him, I'd just give my life to him. Jesus himself said they, they wouldn't believe. He walked amongst his people. He showed them his messiahship. He went to Israel. He showed them everything. Declared himself as the messiah. They still rejected him. Why? Sin. Pride. Human nature. And, and man will fail to accept the messiah. Believe it or not. You know, and you think, how is that possible? But that's what the word of God tells us. Let's go back to Revelation 20 as we roll this up tonight. Mankind comes together for one last revolt against God's authority, attempting to evade Israel and evade the holy city, where is the seat of Christ's rule and reign. Revelation 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So here we see, you know, Satan is loosed at the end of the thousand years. You say, why would God loose Satan at the end of the thousand years? Well, here's a couple of things. Number one, Satan doesn't escape. Let's make that clear. God lets him out. He lets him out. Number two, Satan goes out, verse 8, to deceive the nations. But let's remember, Satan cannot make anybody do anything they don't willingly want to do. He has a leash. He can influence, he can persuade, but he can't make you do anything you don't want to do. That's sin. That's your choice. So Satan is sent out to deceive the nations, but it's their choice to gather around Satan rather than God, and they gather to uh, attack uh, Jerusalem. And it says in verse 9, they accomplished the camp of the saints about that beloved city. This sets this battle apart from the battle in Ezekiel, the invasion of Israel, because they come from the north, where in this battle they come from all round about. They come to attack Israel. Satan is loosed. And what God is doing, what's he doing? Why would he even let Satan loose? Simply, it's part of the, part of the test. It's part of the test. That in near perfect conditions, with everything that the human heart cries out for, righteousness, justice, perfect rule, perfect reign, uh, you know, good health, prosperity, safety, security. God provides that all through this dispensation of the kingdom. And yet even so, when Satan is let out, just to put a little uh, flea in the ear, once again, the human sinful heart rises up in disobedience to God. And what God is doing here, I believe, is just showing humanity one final time that without him and his work of regeneration in the heart, the human 
will always drift to rebellion and disobedience to God. So, there's failure. Then the judgment, verse 9. Well, we've read verse 9. Tail end of verse 9 of Revelation 20. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. God is just watching that play out. And here comes the judgment. And this is the final judgment of God. Beginning. Verse 10. And the devil that was deceived deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's eternal torment. Forever and ever, day and night. It's not non-existence. It's not annihilationism as some people would teach. It's a conscious torment day and night. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. See, here's the judgment. This is the final judgment of God. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now, I want you to note that this judgment according to their works is not a, not a place where they can get out of jail. This is just an indictment of their crime. This is not where God says, well, let's see what you've done, and then we'll, I'll make a decision on whether you're good enough. That's the way Allah works. But that's not the God of the Bible. Once it's done, it's done. If you're outside of Christ at this point, you're outside and you face the great white throne judgment. And, and as the, your account of the works that you've done are really loud, it's just confirmation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse 14, Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is hell. This is eternal torment. This is the thing that we don't like to talk about in churches these days. But this is the reality of it. And as we enter into the final period, this final dispensation, we head to the end of time. And this is God's final judgment for all those that have rejected him from the beginning right to the end of time. They stand before God without appeal, without any way of excuse, with no way out. They face their judgment and they go off into eternal torment. That's a serious thing. But the believer, those that have put their faith in him, Enter into eternal bliss. Eternal bliss. We enter into eternity with God. And each and every one in eternity with God never dies, never cries, has no pain, has no sickness, has no worries, has no troubles. All they have is the eternal glory of God before them. And what a day that will be. Amen. Amen. What a God we have. Through this, from the beginning all the way through to the end, man has showed that we are rebellious, wicked sinners. And everything that God does, we want to throw it back in his face. But we've seen his patience and his compassion as he moves, as the Redeemer comes, as he works with us and comes to us. But here it's done. It's over. We get to the end and there's no more chances with God. Now as we close this evening, 
I want to ask you where you are with the Lord Jesus Christ. Honestly, I pray to God that each and every person in here is saved, that we're heading to eternal bliss. But we may not be. We may not be. And you may have fooled each and every person here, but you cannot fool the God of all creation. He knows your heart. And if you don't get right with him, this judgment that we spoke about, that's what awaits you. And what an awful judgment that is. So yes, God is gracious. Yes, the door of grace is still open. But it may not be open for you tomorrow. So here's my call as we close this evening. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ if you haven't already. And when you give your life, live out that life for him, through him, that you might glorify him in all that you do because of all that he's done for you.